everyone welcome to the chukukapi podcast with akash and harish the aim of the podcast is to serve as a platform to bring awareness about aspects of food that are overlooked and to bring a new perspective to what we consume on a daily basis our mission here is to delineate the research surrounding food and the science behind it package it in an accessible form to everyone one bite at a time if you want to know more about the recipes and research that we talk about in each episode head over to akashmuralidharan.com so i guess today's episode is on a special ingredient that was shoved down our throats when never we had cold cough or fever in the form of a kashaya which is basically a medic- medicinal decoction sort of growing up we were forced to gulp it down every time we got a stomach ache cough indigestion fever etc the initial discomfort of drinking kashaya though was almost always followed by a huge relief but uh, i don't know if you'll be able to relate with this akash but one thing i'd always found annoying was that our pa- parents never seemed to answer why we were forced to drink that kashayam you know we usually got vague answers like if you drink this you'll feel better it was generally the case with most things anyway be it religion spirituality or food <laughs> and, and so this has led to an obsession to find the why behind things to understand it better like why did we drink that kashayam why were specific ingredients used in its making I mean uh, of course i can relate to you know whatever you have said so far and uh, i have always been fascinated by the topic of kashayam as well but um, what what's fascinated me most or what i am obsessed the most about is why certain herbs that were used in its making were present only in the medicinal cabinet right and why were they not brought into the kitchen and why did we not take advantage of the flavors that these ingredients could offer and why not incorporate them in our regular diet rather than you know look towards them only when we have an ailment right that's actually a very interesting question i've also thought about it and i'm not sure if it was a deliberate omission by our grandparents uh, but uh, i think we should explore that more in you know during the course of this podcast sure. so in this podcast I'll try to explain why sitarthai was used for the reason it was used by our grandparents. Um, with this, I'll basically be quoting scientific evidence and research. And uh, you, I think, will give us new ways to incorporate these ingredients in our diet. Uh, you know, to discuss why sitarthai, a form- formidable drug in its own right, is not consumed more widely, and why we should consume it only in the form of a kashayam or a decoction. and why not yeah. you know, in other ways yeah exactly but, you know why why did we choose sitarathai and mm-hmm. for the people listening to this outside tamil nadu or india sitarathai is galangal in english and kulanjan in hindi yeah so sitarathai is galangal in uh, english <laughs> I, i i think we were just constantly saying sitarathai and sitarathai so people definitely uh, listening to this outside tamil nadu it's called galangal Uh, I think we were having a conversation about you know the increasingly widespread usage of kavasara uh, kudinir churanam or kada <laughs> uh, which is basically a concoction of herbs that is currently used as a remedy in India to relieve covid-19 symptoms and is also sometimes used prophylactically and yes i do remember this conversation vividly and also i remember making a joke that you know we should make a rasam out of kavasara kudinir <laughs> i think that's when we noticed that there were so many other herbs that we could make rasam out of uh, for instance like sitarathai yeah 
exactly and i don't know if you have noticed but uh, i was just checking out the kabasura kudinir um, churanam's ingredients list on netflix surprisingly sitarthi does not make an appearance in this really? in that list yeah i mean i understand that uh, the kabasura kudinir ingredient list is very subjective and it depends on what people add but uh, okay. sitarthi did not make an appearance that's that's interesting so yeah so let's start by breaking down what sitarthi basically is so it is part of the ginger family with its origin being widely reported as southeast asia and the binomial name for sitarthai is alpinia officinarum which i know sounds like a spell from the <laughs> harry potter series but it is more commonly called as galangal as we discussed before now at this point uh, you know i think we have to take a note that there are three plants that are called the galangal not oh. just the alpinia officinarum that you just mentioned okay there's also apinia galanga and alpinia calcrata which are also known as the galangal mm-hmm. and more generally as the greater and lesser galangal right and i believe that sitrathai uh, or arathai uh, in tamil may in general refer to all types of galangal like ullakalangu uh, in tamil reference refers to all types of the potatoes mm-hmm. and according to the handbook of herbs and spices all three species of the galangal have more or less similar properties and are used in similar ways in culinary art as well as in medicine oh okay and uh, maybe that's why you know in general it's referred to as galangal and okay. not always uh, by its you know specific uh, names mm-hmm. and the galangal looks very similar to ginger with a skin smoother and paler than the ginger root okay I mean, I'm trying to describe it for people who haven't seen Galangal yeah. yet. I I don't know when you took the time <laughs> to see how the skin is, whether it's smooth or pale. Anyway, go on. <laughs> and the interior of the Galangal, uh, it ranges from white to yellow to pink, and is much harder than ginger. Also, okay, it's harder to chop or cook. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. And yeah, but similar to ginger and turmeric, Galangal can be eaten fresh or cooked. and it's a popular addition to many chinese indonesian malaysian and thai dishes basically uh, southeast asian okay and it has a stronger taste than ginger with an earthy aroma and a sharp citrusy almost uh, piney flavor mm-hmm. it is also very pungent right uh, yeah yeah so i think the 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 pungent taste comes from capsaicin that is present in galangal which is also found in chili peppers but obviously the heat is way less tolerable um and also historically it was even employed by the northern song dynasty in china apparently to make perfumes mm. sometimes it was used in digestive soup and it was even used as a mosquito repellent and mm. i think it was used for making perfumes even in india i mean it does does have a beautiful scent it is so fragrant uh, you you know yeah. and it is it is a very unique perfume note actually and uh, it is one of the middle notes in eve saint laurent's underrated gem called you know opium pohom Uh, in the in the, I think I saw this in fragrantica. dot com only the the middle note was actually an Alpinia galanga flower. Hmm, I didn't know that. I mean, yes, Sitarathai does have a very unique fragrance, uh, especially the flower. Yeah. Uh, but so Harish, like, where do we begin? Uh, you know, shall we discuss about the medical research behind galanga first, and then like mm. you know, like keep going? Yeah, I think we'll start there. Um, so I would first start by. answering why do i find galangal or sitarthai so fascinating i mean there's a lot to unpack on why galangal is basically ginger on steroids <laughs> um basically the research on rhizomes like galangal and other so called quote unquote medicinal herbs and spices 
comes from this predominantly comes from these alternative schools of medicine from different countries especially the east but we are seeing a lot of interest and research from the west as well i'm just going to stop you there and ask this mm. uh, is the research coming out from these alternative schools of medicine uh, are they from reliable sources um not all the research obviously i mean we have so much misinformation these days and whatsapp university and social media <laughs> in general is definitely not helping but we will be discussing only the ones that are published in well respected and uh, peer reviewed scientific journals and again uh, this is in no way a substitute to getting help from a trained physician okay but uh, where does the current research stand on galangal uh, what do we you know have uh, for example like uh, does it help relieve covid symptoms yeah it's interesting actually well i'm not sure uh, but there was a study that i came across on ncbi recently which which stated the following and i quote molecules like galangin gingerinone shaugal are reported in high quantities in the medicinal plant sitarthai which has been used for bronchial infection as a carminative and also recently recognized for its antiviral properties okay. extracts from herbal plants provide a host of secondary metabolites which could have a combinatorial effect to reduce the viral load once consumed in the proper manner unquote um, so yeah to answer the question uh, galangal might actually help in decreasing the viral load and could help with relieving covid-19 symptoms but uh, we definitely need more research pertaining to the same okay and actually here uh, since we are talking about this i would like to share a personal experience here so when i was 6 or 7 um, i was diagnosed with acute bronchitis okay. and i was given a lot of medication in addition to that you know moms being moms uh, she used to give me a galangal decoction so that that you know that slight burn that is associated with <laughs> galangal decoction uh, really helped with my symptoms at least momentarily and after that my mom became very cocky and she just used to give me galangal decoction if i had a fever or cold only if i did not recover would she take me to the pediatrician i mean definitely not a wise idea to people listening to this uh, you should always go and consult the pediatrician before you experiment <laughs> but come on you have to be grateful to your mom yeah, and sitarata as well yeah, definitely definitely you know they have you know made magic i would yeah, say yeah yeah but uh, i want to ask you this have you always consumed it in the form of a decoction uh, there are a lot of you know questions that i have that uh, we should uh, shine some light on here uh, mm-hmm. so how do we consume sitarata and how much do we consume and what way of consuming it uh, is it taking it in the form of tea the best way to reap all the benefits that we can get from it right so that depends actually the, the the study was definitely encouraging and should have garnered interest amongst pharmaceutical companies regarding the dosage and the bioavailability and again we are definitely are in need of more evidence and research pertaining to the same but to answer your question personally yeah i have always consumed uh, sitarata in the form of a decoction or a tea and i think that also seems to be the standard way of consuming it uh, to reap the medical benefits and again that's why you're here i, I will leave it to you to find you know innovative ways to consume it speaking of decoction and tea i remember having you know sitarata tea mm-hmm. at a friend's house when i was in bali okay uh, it was just uh, you know water which mm-hmm. is boiled with galangal and lemongrass it was such a simple recipe mm-hmm. but it tastes so good mm-hmm. and every time we keep speaking about sitarata my mind you know keeps going back to that specific memory yeah Th- thank you for that amazing segue because i'm going to nerd out a little bit more here oh, because since no. you're speaking <laughs> speaking about memory 
Galagal seems to also help with prevent, preventing the onset of Alzheimer's disease as well. Oh. I'm, I'm quoting this from a paper. Uh, in addition, galangin inhibited beta amyloid production and acetylcholinesterase activity and had possibly therapeutic potential for Alzheimer's disease. Unquote. Now, Alzheimer's disease is obviously a much more complex problem um, pathophysiologically and its treatment cannot be oversimplified. Uh, but amyloid plaques do play a role in Alzheimer's disease. Um, I think I recently read this article on Nature that uh, a drug called aducanumab developed by this biotechnology company called Biogen recently got approval by FDA, which is based on the amyloid hypothesis. It, the, the drug's action is it basically clears out the amyloid plaques in the brain. Uh, but it has again met with a lot of controversy by the neurologist and uh, scientist about its efficacy to prevent cognitive decline. But still, to have galangin inhibiting amyloid production is a, is a very interesting area of okay. research. I, I just lost you there, I should say. I, I, that, all of that sound, sounded like you know, Greek and Latin to me. Uh-huh. All that I understood was that galangal can help prevent Alzheimer's, am I right? Yeah, I mean, you can say that, but again, uh, we have a lot of things to discuss in this area. Especially <laughs> using words like preventing. We have Matthew Walker in his book. Why We Sleep, a very popular book. Okay. Um, he has explained about the importance of sleep in Alzheimer's prevention and okay. how lack of sleep can be detrimental to your uh, brain. And uh, Richard Isaacson, another neurologist, uh, even has a book written called The Alzheimer's Prevention and Treatment Diet. Okay. An interesting story there. Actually, um, Richard Isaacson came on uh, the Drive podcast with uh, Peter Atiyah and he was explaining how he got so much slack for using prevention. Like They did not even approve that because he was using the word quote-unquote prevention. So yeah, it's a complex puzzle and Galangal's contribution to it is very interesting. I, and by the way, I forgot to ask, uh, is that the, the tea you drank was there sugar in it? Did you add sugar by any chance? Okay, I did. I think I did add sugar. Yeah, Ex- excellent. So, <laughs> so when you add table sugar, obviously it defeats the purpose. Now, uh, we now understand how insulin resistance could lead to so many problems in the body. Uh, the metabolic diseases have really piqued my interest recently. And I was surprised to come across that Galangal apparently has anti-obesity properties as well. Okay. Now, I find this interesting because Siddhartha Mukherjee, a leading cancer researcher and a practicing oncologist at Columbia University, is also the author of The Emperor of All Maladies and uh, Gene and Intimate History. He has stated that obesity is the second leading risk factor for developing cancer, just after smoking. Now, um, again, when, when, um, when you take a lipid profile, uh, I'm just trying to explain how um, Galakar okay. works for you know cholesterol okay. and other things. So when you take a lipid profile, you will get LDL, which is low-density lipoprotein, which is quote-unquote bad cholesterol. You get HDL, which is high-density lipoprotein, which is good cholesterol, and you get triglycerides. Now, all these play very important roles in development of insulin resistance, uh, NAFLD, which is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, hyperlipidemia, etc. So they found that Galangal um, actually had hypolipidemic activity in uh, white Vistar rats they tested. So basically what it did was, it lowered the level of triglycerides, okay. it lowered the level of uh, low-density lipoprotein, which is bad cholesterol, and HDL, high-density lipoprotein, which is good cholesterol. So it is it apparently works in reducing all of these as well. So it's, it's quite, it's a Swiss army knife, I would say. Okay, for all those people who are pretending to understand what just happened, just like me, I'm going to try and, you know, get the <laughs> gist of it. So Galangal uh, reduces the effect of 
bad fat, bad, bad cholesterol, cholesterol, and increases the good cholesterol. Good cholesterol. Yeah. So that's, that's the serum. That is, yeah, that's the, that's the gist. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. <laughs> and okay. Uh, and also, don't add sugar to your diet. <laughs> don't add sugar to your tea. <laughs> you should stop freaking people out about you know sugar. Okay, I won't add sugar to Galangal tea anymore or any tea for that matter. Uh, I'd start, you know, maybe adding honey or other substitutes that we can... I don't think that is a very good idea as well because now we have news coming out saying that even honey is being substituted with uh, sugar syrup. So, you know, that is debatable. Okay. We will be careful about the sources that we get from and... Yeah, exactly. You know, that we can also discuss about this maybe in another yeah, episode. Right, right. But uh, coming back to Sitarutai, uh, with so much to offer as benefits, it makes me wonder why it's not, you know, so regularly used in our kitchens. You know, should we not be using it more regularly? And, uh, you know, why is it an ingredient that we resort to only when we have a flu or indigestion or any other, you know, ailment? Uh, it just keeps me, you know, asking more questions. I think, yeah, I think you asked this at the very beginning of the podcast and I said we should yeah. uh, explore it more. Yeah, which is a very interesting question. Um, that is a problem right now actually. Our treatment methodology has been predominantly uh, if you fall sick, we'll treat you. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's imperative that we move to a preventative medicine model. A lot of doctors are vouching for this uh, because, for example, I would uh, give the insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. So, when someone is diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, they have been insulin resistant for a long time. It's almost 10 15 years they've been insulin resistant. So if you find them at the very beginning and um, you can actually prevent the onset of uh, type 2 diabetes. Okay. So th that's an example and obviously it does not work for everything but we can try. And going back to your question, I honestly don't know. I am not sure if it was a deliberate decision by our grandparents to not incorporate it daily or maybe they did use it and we just totally forgot about, about it due to the, you know, the limited <laughs> availability of Galagal. As it is not available in accesses, accessible sources like, you know, supermarkets. <laughs> Ironically, we are also one of the largest exporters of Sitarate, Galangal. <laughs> well, I have to agree with you that, it, you know, that it might be difficult for everyone to access uh, fresh Galangal. Right. And uh, they are available only in specific supermarkets or some of the online grocery stores. So their stores. fresh Galangal is available or yeah. the right one? Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about Chennai. Like, okay. Yeah. You know, Chennai as a city and... Fresh Galangal is available in specific supermarkets and online uh, stores. Okay. Uh, that might be, you know, quite difficult for all of us to get access to, but the dried ones are a bit easier to access. They are widely available in folk medicine shops. Not in the Kadai, in Tamil. Yeah. They are widely available there. Uh, and I also think maybe it's just only in the cities that, you know, uh, this is the scenario. Mm. But I'm sure in rural areas they still cook with it more than we do and i'm not trying to romanticize with folk medicine here but they have been you know following this preventive uh, you know methodology with uh, uh, with the diseases that you you just you know mentioned about so that's maybe one of the reasons that they still use uh, sitaratai more regularly than we do in uh, rural areas and also in our fast-paced life in huge metropolitan cities like Chennai, we have definitely left behind a lot of potential ingredients and Sitayate could possibly be one of them. Right. But, but even if the accessibility issue is solved, 
I would still argue that we all don't eat food just because of its medicinal values. Like I'm not ordering pizza or a burger because it has <laughs> medicinal. It's obviously junk, but uh, it's the taste that attracts people. And especially um, after having a short stint with uh, experience with anosmia, and I'm pretty sure that people with anosmia or people who have had lack of taste and smell uh, recovering from COVID would relate yeah. that how how much importance. Uh, like your sense of taste and smell plays in appetite. Like I did not feel like eating because I could not taste or smell anything. So okay. how will you make it appealing uh, with respect to taste and smell and convincing people to eat or add it to their diet? You know the truth is that humans have evolved to acquire new taste and sometimes even you know get addicted to some of it and right. you know that's what makes you keep going back to the sugar in the cakes or the fat and salt in your pizza yeah <laughs> but sitaratai uh, does not lack anything when it comes to packing flavor in your dishes mm-hmm. today in indonesian dishes galangal has the widest uses and it's also used widely in eastern cookery such as Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, Indochina, etc. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a magical ingredient. You know, you can you can slice it into fine slivers for salads and you can slice it into thin rounds to be boiled, you know, to flavor soups. Okay. Uh it can help you mask the fishiness of seafoods or the heaviness and fattiness of chicken and red meats. Yeah, actually I think we were talking about this it, it helps make the digestive digestion easier yeah. because you add it to meats it, it makes it easier right the, the process of digestion yeah. more easier and that way it also makes the dish taste cleaner more delicate and more succulent when it comes to meat mm-hmm. they add the zinc to the thai curries if there are any thai curry fans out here i'm a huge fan of thai cuisine so the zinc that you find in the thai curries are basically from these sitar thai so next time when you make a thai curry try to use a sitaratai instead of ginger okay and it also adds a fresh zesty taste to the soups and salads mm-hmm. the flavor of galangal is also beautifully accentuated by a combination of you know the following ingredients mm-hmm. like chili garlic tamarind ginger lemon lemongrass fennel coconut milk i can like keep going on but this is all like from the top of my mind okay and to be honest these are flavors that are not new to us at all mm-hmm. we have been used to these flavors for years yeah but true. still we don't seem to be using sitaratai with us so much mm-hmm. and uh, i think you know it's a matter of awareness and willingness to explore and adapt new flavors in our cooking that's you know keeping us away or kept us away from galangal so far right and all of this in combination the medical benefit should be a really good sell for people listening <laughs> anyway so now i was able to understand you know what sitaratai goes well with but are there any recipes that you can suggest us uh, that we can start incorporating them regularly in a diet something that is easy to make of course of course something that's not required cooking cookery rocket science <laughs> <laughs> sure uh, i think we can start with a simple tea uh, like the one we spoke about uh, earlier without the sugar mm-hmm. okay yeah <laughs> definitely without sugar key point yeah so what you can do is you can boil some water with galangal and lemongrass and wait for it to reduce uh, now if you ask me how much galangal uh, i think it's 
very subjective that is something that you should try and figure it out for yourself yeah exactly. it's very overpowering it's, it yeah. has a very strong taste like we i mean for some people it's very overpowering but for some people they might you know fall in love with the yeah. flavor mm-hmm. so you can start trying out with small pieces until you reach the optimum flavor that you like so once the tea is ready you can add some honey and enjoy your tea honey from again from yeah honey from authentic sources right thank you for that yeah <laughs> and there's also another recipe for milk tea or chai latte yeah it's uh, quite common in many households to make tea with ginger right uh, yeah and for once you can try replacing ginger with sitar tea mm-hmm. and it might you might you know really like it you might yeah. even fall in love with it's it it's actually good idea yeah yeah and a little further ahead what you can do is you can do even you can try out even a sitar tea rasam it can be one of the simplest trials i would actually like to add one more thing that like when you add it with drink it with milk for people who are lactose tolerant when you have it with milk it sort of makes that burn also a little palatable it is sort of gives oh. that a uh, nice taste because i remember uh, my mom used to add milk if i found it too hot <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank you for that yeah and so for the sitar tai rasam what you can do is you can boil some galangal along with uh, tamarind tamarind uh, extract and uh, some other spices that you like and do not be surprised if the kitchen is filled with its earthy aroma mm-hmm. with no time yeah. you know it's going to like your smell your kitchen is going to like smell like galangal so strongly for a while but it's really good i think you will enjoy it and again like i said you can alter the amount of citrate according to your flavor profile mm-hmm. and you can remove the pieces off if they are too hard and dry like you do with a cinnamon or an elaichi in a biryani yeah that makes sense yeah yeah and if you want to like go further and cook uh, experiment with satratai more you can make meat korambu or fish curry or curry korambu which is chicken or meat curries and also other veg stews with coconut milk and these are all like places where you can you know uh, Uh, add sitrate it, it can be a very wonderful addition to these dis- dishes so we can remove that sitrate after cooking it right that yeah if you don't cooking. yeah you can always do that mm-hmm. but if you get fresh galangal if you are able to chop it up into small pieces nothing like it you can just you know like have it, have it. all right and i can keep going on there are like a million recipes where you could include the galangal uh, you could have it in salads you could have it in soups but if you are looking to you know push your experiments with galangal you can you, you could even try baking you know like a minced meat pie uh, flavored by galangal or a lemon tart with galangal flavor you could infuse it in your know, in any of the dishes that you are making mm-hmm. and going further mm-hmm. you could even add it to your cocktails yeah. now uh, i'm listening <laughs> a little bit of uh, galangal in your whiskey sour or old fashion can certainly elevate your drink that's that's awesome i'll i'll definitely try the try the cocktail for sure and because <laughs> that course. was a clincher yeah you know for someone who does not like sugar yeah I, i'm a hypocrite <laughs> so i guess, i guess that is it on today's episode on uh, sitar tai i and i think we did our best to you know sell you on this and we hope you know that we have sold it enough that you start using sitar tai regularly in your kitchen and your cooking yeah. so i hope you guys enjoyed it take care bye bye